Welcome to Practice DNA, the podcast that teaches you how to set up, build, and run your own practice. Sponsored by Icon Practice Practice Management Software, get anywhere access to your system while saving thousands in upfront costs. Visit iconpractice.com now. Hi. I'm your host, Matthew Holmes, and this is episode 7 of Practice DNA, the podcast that helps you set up and run your own practice. Today I'm really privileged to be interviewing Shane McFarlane from aliveaccountants.com.au. So let's get straight to it and get into the interview. I'm very pleased today to be able to interview um, Shane McFarlane from Live Accounting at liveaccountants.com.au. Shane's a former partner at a Business Review Weekly Top 100 accounting practice and established live accountancy, uh, life accounting, beg your pardon, after spending some years abroad working for MYOB Accounting Resourcing. Uh, You've worked with many practitioners over the years and helped them grow their business. Uh, I believe that's true, Shane. Yep, absolutely. Matthew, thanks thanks very much for having me here. I really appreciate that, uh, the opportunity to to share a a little bit of knowledge about, um, uh, about business and and really about the adoption of technology in business as well, because I'm sure we're going to touch on that. Mm, yes. No, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on Practice DNA, so thank you very much. My pleasure. Um, so today we're going to talk about business structures, and normally I'd start off by saying something like, I'm not a lawyer or an accountant. Now, you're obviously an accountant, but I imagine much of the advice that we're going to discuss today is, is pretty generic in nature, and therefore people should make sure they get their own professional advice. Yeah, absolutely. So technically, it's not not actually advice that we will be giving, but we'll be giving general information. And um, cool. whilst uh, you know this will help to give your um, your, your listeners a, an idea as to the various structures that are available and the and the ins and outs of each structure, um, you should always seek professional advice. So you certainly shouldn't seek to rely on any uh, anything that we actually discuss here today. It's really just going to provide a good starting point for a discussion with a professional advisor. Excellent. Good. So uh, there's really three main structures uh, people can sort of look at, isn't there? There's sole trader, partnership or company. Um, yep. How do you want to start off? Do you want to sort of maybe well, run through? Yeah, well, let's, let's just have a quick overview of those structures. So in fact, there's four. So uh, sole trader, partnership, trust or a company. And then under trust, there's two types of trusts. But um, for simplicity's sake, we'll, we'll just stick with a standard family trust. Right. So um, first of all, the the, the structures, the sole trader structure is probably the easiest to begin with. Um, so this is just simply an individual that chooses to, to be in business, no partners um, and no formal uh, documents necessarily prepared such as, uh, you know, company documents or so forth. So it's just a, an individual trader that decides to get an ABN and operate a business. So common forms of business might be, um, you know, tradies such as, you know, plumbers, uh, gardeners, you know, builders, all of that sort of thing. In terms of um, uh, a sole trader, a sole trader is categorized by, um, uh, first of all, a sole trader cannot pay a salary to themselves because you can't employ yourself. Uh, all that happens is any profit that the business is made passes straight to the individual. Now, that's great on, on, on one hand, um, it, but in terms of, so from a, a tax perspective, from a profit perspective, it's actually a very simple structure. But uh, often with simple structures, there's a downside when it comes to liability. So from a liability perspective, if you're operating as a sole practitioner, whether it be a chiropractic practice, a medical practice, an accountant, or as a tradie, or anything else, 
um, the, the liability tends to be the bigger issue. If you're in a business that is particularly litigious, then you don't actually have any protection as a sole trader. So, um, you know, if you're, it's not to say that you shouldn't consider op operating as a sole trader. It just means that you should take appropriate steps to minimize risk. And one of those things would be to make sure you've got appropriate insurance. Mm. Um, so what happens is as a sole trader, basically, um, if I conduct a, uh, an, an act uh, that causes me to be sued, not only could I be personally liable, but any asset that I, own, uh, that I own is potentially at risk. So even if it's a, not a business asset, so I now own my home, um, it's not just my business assets, such as my business motor vehicle or other business tools that, that are subjected to, to risk that I'll have to sell if, I have to, if I'm sued, but I could potentially lose what I consider to be my private assets, such as maybe my home, some personal shares that I might own, a cash in personal bank accounts. All right, so there's no protection um, at at that level, right? Okay. Yeah, I believe uh, some people get around that by doing things like putting all their house in their spouse's name and and things like that. Um, yep. But uh, that's obviously a fairly drastic step, I suppose. It is a drastic step, but I mean, in the past, that used to be a strategy that we would use. Um, what would? Uh, but what's basically happened with the bankruptcy laws is the bankruptcy laws means that those can be clawed back if it's occurred within a certain period of time prior to the event. Right. So um, I think if it's been a long-standing, uh, and I'm not exactly sure on the timelines in, in, in relation to this, so I'm not actually a bankruptcy lawyer or a, um, or a bank's bankruptcy professional, yeah. but um, yeah, I believe that it can be clawed back. So you know, if I transfer the, the, the house into my wife's name and two years later start a business and the business goes bankrupt for whatever reason, I believe that it can be clawed back. Um, right. But I'm just not sure what that time frame is. Mm, okay. So... But so when we're looking at, it's, I'll get back to the structures as well, Matthew, because when we're looking, I've described a sole practitioner. So 100% of the profits are yours. 100% of the liability is yours. Yeah. When we look at a partnership, which is sort of the, the next most complicated structure beyond that, it's very similar um, with, with added complications. So a partnership is, um, uh, you and I might go into partnership we might uh, say we might have a partners agreement that says you, you'll receive fifty percent of the profits and I will as well. Yep. Again, technically, uh, we can't pay salaries to ourselves. We just simply share in the profits fifty-fifty, and technically, we also share in any liabilities fifty-fifty. Except um, partnership means that every individual partner is actually jointly and severally liable for any act of the partnership. So that's a probably a more technical way to describe it. But what it means non-technically is yeah. that if you you can bind any decision that you make can bind the partnership and affect me. So I might have absolutely no knowledge of a particular transaction. You might go to um, uh, go to you know Ferrari in the center of, ta center of town and lease five Ferraris, um, you know, one for each of your family members in the business name. Yeah. I might have absolutely no knowledge of it. We can't afford the repayments. Business goes bankrupt. I'm jointly and severally liable for your decision in that regard. Right. Okay? So, so there's an added risk involved with a partnership in that one party, one partner has the ability to bind the other party in a decision. Mm. Okay. So aside from the other risks as well, um, you know, as a partner, if, I, if we're sued, then my personal assets are at risk, your personal assets are at risk, as long as, as well as the business and the business assets. I, I also have another risk 
in that I can't necessarily control everything you do, but I'm responsible for everything that you do and vice versa. If I make that decision with the five Ferraris, potentially that puts you at risk. So you need, again, to take appropriate steps. You want appropriate insurance. You want appropriate partnership agreements in place. But even if you've got a partnership agreement in place um, that says that I indemnify you for any decision, wrong decision that I make, perhaps, that's an internal agreement. It doesn't necessarily protect you from the party that's wrong. So, you know, if... In that case, with the Ferraris, the leasing company would still come after you, notwithstanding that you have an agreement with me. Right. Okay, so there's that sort of risk involved in a partnership. Mm. So I imagine, therefore, that uh, for most people, that's not not much of a structure to go for, I wouldn't have thought. Look, it, it's, it's certainly a valid structure and there's plenty of partnerships and it depends on the, on the circumstances. So partnerships, um, you know, it might be the most common partnership we see is a family partnership between husband and wife. Right. Um, and, and that's a perfectly legitimate structure. Um, the other reasons why you might have a partnership, notwithstanding these risks, is, you know, you might have a very good relationship with the partner and um, you might need access to capital. So, for example, I might only have $100,000 needed to start a business, but by partnering with somebody, I might get access to a further hundred thousand um, dollars. You know, so more funding, more capital. You're sharing the resources and time. And depending on each person's individual circumstances, they may weigh up the risk to say, "Well, it's well worth us doing that," notwithstanding that it creates greater risk in the, um, mm. uh, you know, on, you know, on the other side. And then you obviously take appropriate steps to try and minimise those risks. You know, in other words, all decisions. Um, you know, like on your bank accounts, two people, two. Each person must sign. Perhaps one person can't sign. Um, right. You know, but still there is risk. Mm. Yeah. Okay. No problem. So the and next structure you, you we were talking about was a trust. Yep. Trust is a more complicated structure. Um, it does provide. I probably won't go into too much detail, other than to say that under a family trust structure, a trust is nothing more than a legal agreement, and. Um, I might put $10 on the table and say this $10 is to be managed for the benefit of your family. And I, in doing so, I've actually created a trust over that $10. And so it's just, and a trust therefore is just a series of rules that are written up to determine how is that $10 managed. But in order to manage it, you need, um, well, there's a few things in the trust. First of all, we need there to be beneficiaries and the beneficiaries would be your family members. Yeah. But, but we need somebody to manage it. So we need a trustee, and the trustee would be either a company or an, a legal person, so an individual over the age of 18 or, or more than one of them perhaps. And so the idea is that the, the trustee is required to manage that $10 for the benefit of your family, but the trustee has no uh, rights to the asset and the, you know, for, for its own benefit. And likewise, the beneficiaries don't actually own the asset. So it's, it's a bit of an odd situation in that you've got an asset that sits there for the benefit, which means that any profits that are made on that pass to the beneficiaries. So if yeah. we make a, a dollar profit, that passes to you. Um, and, and we have the way it, uh, family trust works is that the trustee has the discretion to distribute those profits in any way that it sees fit, as long as it's to an eligible beneficiary. Okay, now, right. if it's your family members that are eligible beneficiaries, and, and to determine what's an eligible beneficiary, it's, it's when the trust is created in the first place, it's actually written into the trustee as to who the eligible beneficiaries are. Right. Okay, so 
The trustee can make a decision to allocate the profit wherever they want as long as it's to an eligible beneficiary. That means that there's lots of flexibility. So if you're earning, you know, a million dollars a year, I probably don't want to distribute income to you for tax purposes because you'll pay it at the top tax rate. But mm. your spouse who maybe isn't working, um, I might be able to distribute income to her and she might pay zero tax on that profit or a lower rate. Well, not lower than zero, but I mean, you know, a low rate of, say, 15%. Yep. Or, or certainly lower than the maximum rate. So there's flexibility, and this is an advantage of a discretionary trust structure. Um, similarly, there's asset protection because um, by the nature of that, a trustee um, can, be, uh, can be indemnified for um, out of the assets of the trust. So it's like putting a Chinese wall between the, um, the, the business and the manager being the trustee because if the trust is sued, if the business is sued, it really could only lose the assets in the business. The trustee's personal assets may not be at risk. In some cases, they can be because the tax office can can certainly um, assess tax against the trustee. But what we tend to find is that the general um, level of... uh, Protection. Uh, protection is, is yes. actually a, a lot greater. You've got an extra layer of protection that protects personal assets. Right. Okay. Which okay. is obviously good if you're in, engaged in some sort of uh, business that's higher risk. Yeah, that's right. Mm. That's right. And the other aspect to structuring any of these sorts of things, if we, we've got personal assets that are at risk, is um, you know if we can, if we're staying in business for long enough, and if we can actually um, you know make it so that personal assets are separated from business assets. Um, before the event, then you know we've got a great there's there's a greater chance that we're we're able to protect them. Mm. Okay. okay, good. So, and then the last okay. structure is a company structure, and again, um, with a company structure, typically if uh, you and your wife were uh, members owned a company that yeah. operated a business, you would be shareholders. Shareholders just get to. Uh, uh, shareholders of where the real power in a company is, They've, they're the people that have the right to share in the profit, but they also have a voting right. So they have the right to determine who manages or who's the director of the company, who's going to run the company. Okay, The directors themselves are the mere employees of the company, Okay, and they're appointed by the shareholders. So if you're looking at a, um, a relationship with a, you know, with a company, you definitely, um, the shareholding is is what you want. In terms of shareholding, how much risk are shareholders up for, first of all? Because we'll talk about shareholders first, then we'll talk about directors. And from a risk perspective, the shareholders who are the owners of the business, um, if you create a $2 company, so you've paid $1 each for for each of your shares for a total of $2, then the most that a shareholder can lose in a company is the unpaid amount of their shares. So if I've bought one share for $1 but I haven't paid the $1 and the company goes bankrupt, the most that I can lose is that $1 that I owe oh. to the company Okay. as a shareholder. A director, on the other hand, has um, different risks. Because they're actively managing the business, They have, um, if they, they conduct a negligent act, the director could be sued. Just in oh. the same way that if you're an individual anywhere and you conduct a negligent act, you can be sued. Therefore, if you're sued in that circumstance, any personal asset that you have is at risk. Right. So you when, need to when, be 
taking Sorry? advice. So you obviously need to be taking advice on what's correct risks, uh, correct actions to be taking if you're at, at all unsure. That's right. Mm. Um, and then when we look at business risk, so I um, purchased something from uh, a medical supply company, but I don't pay the bill for, you know, for 12 months, then then they sue me, you know, or they sue the company. Okay. Yeah. The, the company assets are at risk and um, not necessarily the director's personal assets. Having said that, though, some creditors have the right to claw back assets or to make, you know, the directors can be liable in certain circumstances circumstances for certain, um, certain risks. An example is if I don't pay your superannuation, as in if my company doesn't pay your superannuation and the ATO get wind of it, the ATO can recover the superannuation from the director. Likewise, mm -hmm. they can recover any unpaid taxes from the directors. Okay? And mm -hmm. again, a little bit like being a sole trader or a partnership, um, if we've got two directors and one director has no money to pay and the other one is you know, incredibly wealthy, they'll just claw it back from whomever they can. They'll try to make it 50-50, but they'll invariably, if they can get it from you and not from me, they'll go to you every time. Mm. Okay, so there are risks that are involved. And you, again, you can reduce those risks. So you, first of all, you have public liability or professional liability uh, insurance as a first thing. In terms of um, others' director's insurance, you can apply for director's um, liability insurance as well, which can then protect you at the, at the director level. Right. Okay. So for most people who are starting out, say they're just, it's just them working in their business, there's obviously certain income levels that you'd really need to get to before you start looking at company structures and so on, because there is extra layers of cost involved in running these, isn't there? Absolutely. So um, a sole trade is a very simple structure. That's probably the cheapest structure to run. Um, typically, the way, what we look at with tax planning is we look at the level of income, but we also do look at this issue of risk in the, in the business and we consult with our clients to say, um, and really the decision actually comes from the client with guidance from an accountant. The idea being that if you're very, very averse to risk, then we might put you in a company structure. But if you're a little bit more comfortable with risk uh, and you're just starting out, we, we might not necessarily go to all of the expense of creating a company when a, a, operating as a sole trader would do. Uh, so in terms of the the tax decisions as to whether or not you go for a sole trader or a company or any other structure, um, what we tend to look at is if you're just starting out in business, you're not likely to have as great an income. At, we would probably look at it to say, well, a company tax rate is 30% from the very first dollar that's earned. Now, we have marginal tax rates in Australia, meaning that the first naught to $19,000 or thereabouts is tax-free. The next... 16 odd thousand dollars is taxed at 15 percent the next amount is taxed at um you know 32.5 percent basically so yeah. say is, until such time that your profit is going to put you up into a higher tax bracket than the company tax rate you know if we're yes. only tax as an issue not con considering risk at all if we're only looking at tax the only point that you would change so you would go as a sole trader, first of all, until such time that your taxable income puts you in a, a tax bracket that's higher than the company tax rate. And at that point, we might consider putting it in a company or a trust or some other structure. Okay, Because the idea being that if I can earn my first $35,000 and pay 15 cents in the dollar tax, that's great. I'd be better off doing it as a sole trader than paying earning that same $35,000 and paying 30% tax through the company. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah. So then the next step is okay. Once I've earned that thirty-five thousand, the next, um, uh, te- you know, the next dollar that I earn in the company is going to be taxed at thirty percent. But the next dollar I earn personally is going to be taxed at thirty-two point five percent. So mm. the threshold for determining whether I need to be in a um, a different structure just purely for tax purposes, you know, might be that, uh, you know, that threshold. So that's, but that's not the only thing to consider, and I really need to make this point that there's there's a lot more there's a lot more rules around operating a company structure. We can't just, um, you know, if I'm not operating a business, if I'm doing contracting for one employer and I decide to set up a company, um, invariably there's some non-commercial business rules that that will kick in that may affect whether or not that's a viable structure for me, and it's probably beyond the scope of the discussion today, but. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's other factors. So again, in all of this, as much as we're giving um, the, the listeners an overview of some aspects of the structures, it's really just that starting point to have a discussion with an, an accountant to make sure that they take into account all of the personal circumstances because as much as we're, we, we might be limiting it just to the headline tax issues, there are other tax issues that are definitely going to have an effect. Right, lots of different factors that need to be taken into account. So if, if people wanted to uh, get in contact with you to discuss these um, matters further, how could they do that? Okay, so um, I think you've given our, our website address, which is great, and so people can definitely submit inquiries through that. Um, and, and our website address, just I'll, I'll give that again, is www.liveaccounting.com.au. So that's all one word. And um, basically there's, you'll have the ability to submit a contact form and uh, uh, you know, and uh, ask whatever question you like. We're always happy to, you know, return the call and spend as much time with our uh, with potential clients and our existing clients as as possible. We don't work on, uh, you know, hourly rates, so this this issue of times is not an issue for us at all. Um, the other thing too is on the website we have our uh, our, our phone number, um, and uh, you'll be able to contact us on uh, on that number as well. Yeah, that'd be great. So I'll pop those details in the show notes. So if anybody wants to look those up and uh, yes, they can uh, track you down there. So thank you very much uh, for that, Shane. We really appreciate you giving up your time and coming in and sharing this uh, valuable information with our listeners. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again soon. Oh, no problems, Matthew. That Thank you very much for inviting me on. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit practicedna.com and sign up to receive full transcripts of the episodes as well as other special subscriber-only resources.